right, guys, you have a seat. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you may want to kind of follow along. We're going to be back, like I said today, in Matthew chapter 11. We'll be here for another three or four weeks as we work our way through this passage. I've entitled today's message, The Need for Grace. And um, I want to kind of give you just a brief update, a, a background on where we've been and where we're going, because in this passage, it all kind of ties together. This, this Matthew chapter 11, um, remember we talked about John the Baptist being the forerunner of Christ, that he had, uh, had served Christ, he had identified who Jesus was, he was the one that, that, that exclaimed, you know, there is the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and, and he had been a, a huge uh, person that, that worked to, to prepare the hearts of the people. He had called Israel to repentance and baptized thousands upon thousands of people in a baptism of repentance. But John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but Jesus is coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so here is the John, the 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 forerunner of Christ who has been huge in, in, in paving the way for Jesus to come and to kick off and to inaugurate this, this brand new kingdom that Jesus has, uh, has come to establish. John the Baptist now is in prison. Uh, we said that he'd been in prison about a year when we get to this place in Scripture, that John had sat there for about a year in a deep, dark hole. Uh, his faith began to, to, to really uh, call into question some of the things that he had seen. And John sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus two questions. Number one, are you the one? Are you the Messiah that was to come? The one that the Old Testament told us was coming. Are you really it or did I miss something? And the second question is, if you're not it, then I've got to, you know, are you it or do I need to continue to search? And we talked about how that our hearts search and our hearts long to know if Jesus is it or if he's not. And so the rest of chapter 11 is Jesus's response to the two questions that John asked, am I the one? And, and if not, shall my heart continue to search? Can we keep looking? And so the rest of chapter 11 is Jesus's response. Now, the two disciples that came from John are, are turning and they're walking away. And Jesus is now going to continue to answer this question, but he's answering it for the crowds and, and also for us that, that read this later on. Uh, when Jesus talked to the, the disciples of John to give them the answer, he says, you go back and tell John what you've, what you've uh, heard and what you've seen, that, that Jesus' message had not changed, that he was still proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, that he was coming to inaugurate a new kingdom. But he also pointed out, and we hit on this last week, that those that Jesus came for were the poor and the powerless. When we look at the list of those that Jesus was healing and those that Jesus was, was, was ministering to, it wasn't the rich and the famous. It wasn't the powerful, it was the powerless. And so Jesus says, you go back and you tell John that. And so as the disciples turn and leave, we pick up in verse 7 that Jesus is going to begin now to address the crowds. And those crowds had to be a little bit confused because they had been the same crowds that had gone out into the wilderness to see John. They'd gone out there to listen to John. They'd gone out there and been baptized by John. And, and, and they looked at John, many of them, and asked John the question, are you the Messiah? Because John was so powerful and he was so influential in, in, in turning hearts back to God that people thought maybe John the Baptist is the, the, the Messiah. And John, of course, had denied that and said, there's one coming after me who is even greater than I. In fact, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. So this crowd had to be looking and, and asking the question, okay, if John was so convinced and he was so powerful and he spoke with such authority and now he's asking the question, are you the one? The crowds had to be scratching their head going, what is going on here? So Jesus, anticipating their confusion, turns to the crowd and he, he makes his remarks to the crowd. But to understand what Jesus is trying to say to the crowd, we need to get a little bit more historical context here to understand what, what's taking place. Uh, John the Baptist was this powerful prophet. John is actually the final Old Testament prophet. Uh, we've had so many prophets come before John all the way through the Old Testament that have called Israel back to God. Now, John is going to be the final Old Testament prophet. He's going to be the, the final one that will, 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 will focus upon the law and the need to repent and to turn our hearts back to God. But John's going to be this final Old Testament prophet. I, I don't believe that John was fully aware of everything the Holy Spirit was doing through him. The Holy Spirit was, was dwelling on John, was working through John the way that he had done through all the Old Testament prophets. He hadn't come to fill John the, the way that we are going to be filled, I don't think. I don't think that took place till after Christ uh, had, had been buried and, and resurrected. 
But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit's been working on John. He's working through John. And, and John is speaking truth. He is speaking it with great power. But I don't know that John fully grasps even everything that he is saying. Um, I think that, that John is, is not aware of everything that's going on in the midst. He's not even fully aware of who Jesus is, which is why he asked the question. Jesus, you're not fitting the box that I, that I expected. You, you're, you're working outside the box. You're, you don't look or sound or, or behave the way that I thought the Messiah would, 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 would act. So John's a little bit confused, but John is still speaking truth. He's still speaking it powerfully, and God's still using him. But he wasn't aware of all that he was doing, that John was not just pointing to the Messiah, but he's also preparing the people for a new kingdom that God's about to inaugurate. I don't know that John understood that. This new kingdom that's about to come was going to be a completely different kind of kingdom with a different focus. The old kingdom had been about a nation and about nation building. This was going to be about kingdom building, and it was going to be more of a spiritual thing. It was not going to be a physical kingdom the way that Israel had been a physical kingdom. It was not going to be political or religious or somehow a mix of those two. It was going to be a spiritual kingdom that Christ was building. And it was not going to be accomplished by keeping the law, but through grace. And this is the heart of this passage, okay? And I, I want to make sure that we, we grab this today because this is where when we read this passage, you, you, there's things in here you're going to scratch your head and go, what, what in the world's going on here and what's trying to be said? And, and the heart of this passage is a, a pointer back to grace. And, and what, what I think that, that the Lord's going to say to us in this passage today is you can be the best of the best of the best at keeping the law. And that's still not enough. So let's look at this passage and let's begin to see what it's all about. John is, is preaching truth. He has proclaimed it in a powerful way. But Jesus is about to say to us, keeping the law is just not enough. John expected the Messiah to be one thing, but Jesus uh, delivered something completely different. I want us to, to start in, in the book of John to grab, to grab some of this context. And uh, in John chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 18, we get a feel for why Jesus is here and what he's come to do. John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, he, is, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. So Jesus was, was, was the creator. And yet the world, what he created, did not know him, its creator. He came to his own, to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So who are the children of God? Those who believed and those who received. Those who understood that they had their spiritual eyes open, their hearts open, and they were able to receive the gospel. And and they believed the gospel, they received Christ as their Savior, and now they've become these children of God. And they were born not of blood or, or, or of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. They were spiritually born, not just physically born. Remember, Jesus is going to say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not just of the, of the, of the flesh, but you need to be born of the Spirit. And so that's what we're building upon here. Jesus came to do that. He didn't come just to establish a physical kingdom. He came to, to, to establish a spiritual kingdom. And so it says in in verse 14, And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son, from the Father. And look at the description of Jesus. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me, he ranks before me because he was before me. John saying, Jesus existed before I did. Even though physically, who was born first? John the Baptist. He says, no, no, Jesus was around a long time before I ever got here. And then verse 16, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Catch this. The law came through Moses. The law was the message of every Old Testament prophet. Repent, obey the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one's ever seen God, except the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So in this passage here, we, we see that John's going to be the closing chapter of this book of redemption. 
And Jesus is about to begin a brand new chapter. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's the last one that's going to focus exclusively upon the law and obedience and, and all of that. And, and Jesus is going to come and say, look, guys, even the best at that is not good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. We'll see in our passage today that, that Jesus is going to be introducing a whole new chapter in this book. Uh, no one expected that to happen. No one could have even imagined what grace was all about. Grace is one of those things that was just too good to be true, which is why so many rejected the message of grace. They'd worked all of their lives to try to keep the law meticulously. They had spent hours and hours trying to memorize that law and to be able to, to, to define what this actually means and what can I do and what can I not do. And they, they had their checklist, and these guys had devoted themselves, so many of them. I know we, 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 we kind of come unloaded sometimes on the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the scribes, and the teachers of the law. These guys were genuine at tr- about trying to pursue God, but they pursued God through the law. And I think that what's tucked in this passage in Matthew 11, it, it's been freeing to me, and maybe it'll be freeing to you, especially those of you that have grown up in the church, and we learned early in life the do's and the don'ts of religion. I think what Jesus is going to say to us today is grace is way too good to be true, and yet it is. And again, that's why so many rejected grace. Grace is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. Every other religion, every other religion says, you do this and you'll be accepted. Christianity says Jesus did this so that you are acceptable. Grace is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion known to man. And any religion that does not build itself upon grace cannot wear the name Christianity. Some try. But, but if you have a, a religion that says, I oh, will take a little bit of grace and a whole lot of works, or, or a whole lot of grace and a little bit of works, then, then what you've created is not Christianity. And what you've created is not what the Scripture reveals. And so what we see here today is this, that grace is, is, is the distinguishing mark between us and every other religion. It, Christianity says, Jesus did this. And he did it because we could not. And he did it to make us acceptable to the Father. Now, Jesus is about to make some earth-shattering claims in this passage in Matthew chapter 11. I want you to listen as we go through it. I want you to catch what he's trying to say. And I want you to kind of put it in this historical context that here's a group of people that have been told all their life. In fact, all these generations leading up to it, keep the law and God will be happy. Keep the law and God will bless you. Keep the law and everything will go well. Keep the law and we'll become a nation again. And Jesus steps on the scene and is about to say something that is just earth-shattering to these guys. He will talk about the greatness of John the Baptist. And as he talks about John the Baptist in this passage in Matthew 11, everybody in the crowd is going to go, yeah, that's the guy. That's the one we wanted to listen to. That's the one we went out in the wilderness to see and to hear. John's the guy. He's he's it. He's the, the, the goat long before Tom Brady. He's the greatest of all times. No questions asked. John's it. He was better than any other prophet And yet, I think what we're going to see here today is that Jesus is going to say John's greatness is not enough to get him in the kingdom of God. You see, sometimes we stop and we we forget, I think, to to stop and to think. We we, we forget. We we read the story of John the Baptist and we go, man, that dude was awesome. And we just assume that that's why John will be led into the kingdom of God. I mean, he was a cousin of Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He's the first one that said, that's the son of God. Surely he'll go to heaven for that. I think what Jesus is saying here is a message not just to the crowd, but also to John. That's not enough, John. That's not enough. So Jesus, the bombshell that he drops here is to say that even the greatest lawkeeper, even the most powerful prophet, still needs grace. All right, I told you when we started the series, this is going to be tough for those of us that have grown up in church, okay? We grow up and we learn the rules and we get good at keeping the rules. But guys, if we don't find grace, we're still lost. 
You may have all the answers. You, you may become a pastor. If you don't find grace, I think what Jesus says here in this passage in Matthew is you're still lost. The greatest lawkeeper, the most powerful prophet, still needs grace because the law cannot do what we need. Only the grace of Christ can do that. Now, there's one other thing. I, usually when we preach through a passage, I want to walk you through verse by verse by verse by verse all the way to the end, right? I think we need to start at the end today in order to understand the impact of what Jesus is about to say. We're, we're going to look at verses 7 through 15 today, and I want us to start with verse 15. So if you're back to Matthew chapter 11, let's go to verse 15. And I want to grab something that most of the time we just read and we never even question what does that mean or why is it there? As Jesus finishes up, not, not answering the question completely, but he finishes up this, this segment of his answer, he puts in a, a phrase at the end. We see it in the book of Revelation a lot. We see it in other places as Jesus is teaching. But, but look at verse 15. It's Matthew eleven fifteen. 15. It says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's Jesus saying? Is he talking about those who are f- physically deaf? No. What's he saying? He who has ears, let him hear. What's he trying to say? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. The truth that I've just shared with you is spiritually discerned. Not everybody's going to be able to understand it. There are some here who would have calloused hearts, and and this truth will just hit and bounce off. There there are those here, their spiritual eyes are closed. They haven't been opened yet, and the truth will hit, and they just won't ever see it. There, there's those whose ears have been closed. They, they, they hear the truth, but, but it, it, never, it never makes it through. It just in one ear and out the other. There's those here with a, a hardened heart, and, and the truth can't take root in their lives. And so he's saying to them, listen, guys, you need to, you need to be spiritually discerning to understand what I'm about to say. Because here's what, what, what's going to happen, okay? And this is why I throw this out first. The message that Jesus speaks in verses 7 through 14 is a spiritual message. He's not just giving physical facts. He's not talking about the the, the physical world. He's talking about spiritual things here. And this is going to be so important for us to understand or else we miss the message that we're about to examine. So Jesus is speaking in a spiritual way. And he's saying, if you've got some spiritual ears, tune in. Listen to me with those spiritual ears. In order to hear what I'm about to say. Don't just look at the facts and go, okay, well, where was he? And what was he saying? And what were his words? Listen to the meaning, the spiritual meaning. And I say that fully aware that there will be some here today, some that may be listening online, that will hear the words and it will never impact them. It will never make a difference in their, in, their, in their life because they're spiritually discerned words. The Bible says that those who are lost can't understand the spiritual things uh, of God unless the Lord opens their eyes, opens their hearts, opens their, their, their ears. So I think maybe it'd be best for us right now, before we go any farther, to pause just a minute and to pray and to ask God, if he would, to open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, so that we can hear what he's about to say to us. Because it's not just facts and locations. This is, this is spiritual meat that the Lord's going to put before us. And if our hearts are not open, our ears are not open, our eyes are not open, we won't be, we won't be changed today. But if they are, we, we can be. So can we do that? Can we just stop and, and pray right now in the middle of this message and ask the Lord to, to get our hearts ready for what he wants to say? Let's do that. And listen, God doesn't need to just hear from the preacher. He needs to hear from each one of us. If you really want to gain something today, if you really want to see the the transformative power of this, would you just pray right now that God would open your eyes and your ears and your heart? Father, I pray that you would do what we can't do. I can't open anybody's heart. I can't open anybody's eyes or anybody's ears spiritually. But Lord, if you would, just, just for the next few minutes, open our eyes to the truth. Open our ears to the truth and, and open up our heart to the truth. Speak to us, Father, through your spirit in a way that only you can do. And that way you get all the glory, all the credit. And and we get the blessing of seeing our lives change because you've hit us on a level that is beyond anything that, that this human intellect could do. 
Speak to us, I pray, right now through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we have ears to hear, let us, let us hear. Now, what is it that we need to hear? What, what is it that Jesus is trying to say? He's saying these words are, are spiritually discerned. We, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to understand this. Let me, let me take you real quick just to another, another spot in Matthew. Just a couple chapters later, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to unpack why it is that some people can hear and some people can't. In, in Matthew 13, uh, verses 10 through 16, the disciples come to Jesus asking, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? And he answers them this. He says, well, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. So, in other words, you're my, you're my, you're my disciples, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is helping you to understand some of these truths. But that's not the case with the crowds. Why do you speak to them in, 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 in parables? And he says, well, it's, it's been granted to you to be able to see the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to them it's not yet been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, this, this spiritual wisdom that, that you guys have, you'll, you'll continue to grow in it. But this world who thinks that they're wise, the, the wisdom that they have, just gonna, it's, it's going to be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. There, there are some guys, listen, there's some who can sit in church week after week, year after year, okay? Hear the truths, repeat the truths, teach the truths, but those truths have never really transformed their lives. It's, that's why people can come to church their whole life and never really get it, never really grasp the truth of grace, the truth of these things. You, you indeed will hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes have closed. Lest or otherwise... They would see with their eyes, and they would hear with their ears. They would understand with their heart, and they would turn, and I would heal them. I would transform them. Here's what he's saying. The world hears it, but they don't get it. They, they see it, and they're amazed. It doesn't transform them. He says, if they really understood, if they really saw it with their eyes, if they really heard it with their ears, if they really understood it with their heart, they would repent. They would turn. There would be transformation. And I would heal them. But Jesus says the fact that they haven't turned is proof that they don't get it. The, the fact that they can come and listen week after week after week to messages, but it doesn't ever translate into how they live their lives, proves that they haven't really heard it. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear, he says. So Jesus is saying that there are those that are going to, to see and to hear, but not really see and not really hear. It's not going to make a difference in their heart and in their lives. So we need him to open our, our, our spiritual hearts to this, this truth this morning. So now let's go to Matthew 7, our main passage, and let's look at what Jesus is trying to say. I think there's three spiritual truths here that, that Jesus is trying to convey to the crowd, but also to us that have the privilege of reading God's word and letting it speak to us. Here's the three truths. Number one is that the law is not enough. Spiritual truth number two is that the Messiah is in their midst. And spiritual truth number three is that the new kingdom is spiritual, not physical, not political, not religious. So let's walk through these three, okay? The first one is this. The first spiritual truth is that the law is not enough. Let's read verses 7 through 11. Let me read it to you. It says here in verse 7, As they went away, these are the disciples of John, are leaving now after asking their question, getting their answer. Jesus begins to speak to the crowd concerning John. Again, Jesus understands the crowd's got to be confused. Why is John the Baptist asking this question? Why is he having these doubts? So Jesus wants to reaffirm that John was on track, reaffirm that John was a powerful man used by God. He says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Was it a reed shaken by the wind? In other words, was John fickle? 
Was John saying, yeah, I'm pretty convinced that Jesus is it. I'm pretty convinced the Messiah is coming. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that we probably ought to repent and get our hearts right. Was John one of these that was swayed by the wind back and forth? It's a rhetorical question Jesus is asking. And the answer is obvious. That's not what John was. John was not a fickle person. John was bold. He was courageous. He was straightforward. He was a, a hard-hitting evangelist that called people to repentance. And, and the message was so powerful that thousands of people repented. So John was not this fickle reed that was just shaken back and forth by the wind. And so Jesus says, look, if you're thinking John's fickle, you're wrong. John's bold. He's got a question. It's an honest question. I'm giving John an honest answer. But, but don't look at John and discount him. Don't look at John and think, oh, he's just a weak guy. I'm so disappointed in John. You say, no, I wasn't disappointed in John, and you shouldn't be. John was not this reed that was shaken by the wind. So he said, if that's not why you went out, you didn't go out in the, in the, in the, you wouldn't have gone out in the wilderness to see some fickle preacher. Then why did you go? Verse 8. What did you go out to see? Oh, did you go out there to see this man dressed in soft clothing? <laughs> Remember how John dressed? Camel's hair, camel skin. There ain't nothing soft about that. Jesus says, you didn't go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. So then what did you go out to see? Three times he asked the question, you, what, why did you travel out to the wilderness, all that direction? Did you go to see this, this guy that was fickle? No. Did, did you go to see this guy that was fancy? No. So why did you go? What did you go to see? And then he gives them the answer. You went to see a prophet. A prophet. And Jesus is about to say the most powerful prophet. You went to see the prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. This is quoting in Malachi chapter 3. Or Malachi has predicted and prophesied that the Messiah would come and that somebody would, a prophet would appear and announce the coming of the Messiah. And so he says, you went out to see the one that, that, that Malachi had predicted was going to come right before the Messiah. You went to see a prophet and more than just a prophet, this was no ordinary prophet. This is going to be the greatest of all times prophet. It's the one that Malachi wrote about, he says. And then he makes this incredible statement in verse 11 about John. Now remember, this is John who's just questioned Jesus. Are you really it? And if you don't understand the question and, and you don't understand the context, then this is not going to make much sense what Jesus is saying. But in verse 11, he says this, truly I say to you, among those born of women, let me stop right there. Are there any other kind? Of those born of women, what's he saying? Those born in the physical. Now, Jesus came and was born of a virgin, uh, but, but that's, that's a little bit different, right? Of, of all men who have ever been born of women, he, he's, there's no other kind of men. So this is not, a, sta- this is not a, a, a natural statement that Jesus made. This is a spiritual statement. Again, that's why we need spiritual eyes, spiritual ears. Jesus is saying, for those who've been born in the physical realm, those who have had experienced physical birth, of all the men ever born, physically, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. You guys are questioning the greatness of John because he asked a question. Don't do it. Of all those physically born, there's never arisen one greater than John the Baptist. John was powerful. John was a guy who, 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 who had his doctrine nailed down. John was devoted. He had, he had from, from birth, had observed the Nazarite vow, which is one of the strictest religious vows of that day and that time. And Jesus says he is the most powerful prophet of all times. What was it that made John so powerful? Do you know? Was it all the miracles that John did? Anybody here know how many miracles John pulled off in his time? 
You ever thought about that? Isn't it the miracles that make somebody great? John 10, 41, let me read this to you to tell you how many miracles John performed. John did no miracles. Yet John was the most powerful ever born to woman. John did no sign, no miracles. But look what they said about John. But everything that John said about this man, Jesus, was true. Where did John's power come from? The truth that he spoke. The the truth that he made known about who Jesus was was. John was not a miracle worker. We, we live in a, in a time where everybody's seeking the miracle. Everybody wants the goosebumps. Everybody wants the, 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 the spectacular. And the more spectacular it is, the better it's got to be. That's not the sign. In fact, we'll see later in, in, in Matthew 11, in, in later in this passage, Jesus is going to talk about all the signs and the miracles that he did in these towns and the people still didn't believe. It's not the miracles that make the man. It's the message. And John had this this truth about Jesus. He never performed a miracle. Yet John is declared by Jesus to be the most powerful, the greatest, ever born to woman. But here's what Jesus is about to say about John. He was the best law keeper. He was the most devoted. He was the most powerful preacher, prophet, Known to man. He had insights that nobody else had. He saw Jesus before anybody else knew who Jesus was. He knew his place underneath Jesus. He he must increase and I must decrease. He's, He's so worthy I can't untie his sandals. John understood the facts of all that stuff. But look what Jesus says as he finishes the statement. He says this, he says, there, there's, there, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet... Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven. Who's Jesus been healing? The least. The lame, the lepers, the blind, all those, the least of the kingdom. Yet the one who is the least, where? In the kingdom of heaven. This is the new kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Jesus is drawing a distinction between the kingdom on earth and the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't come to establish a kingdom on this earth. He came to establish a kingdom in heaven. At one point, they come to Jesus and try to take him by force and make him the king. And Jesus says, I'm not anything to do with that. And so Jesus is making a a statement here. It's a bombshell saying, look, you guys look at John the Baptist. You didn't go out there to see some reed shaking. You didn't go out there to see somebody living in soft clothes and, 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 you know, one that was fickle or one that was fancy. You didn't go to see that. You went to hear the prophet of God. And you heard the words of God through John. You heard those things. And, and, And I'm telling you, you were right in your estimation that there's never been a prophet like John. And yet Jesus says, even a guy that great still needs grace. Just like the least in the kingdom. So here's what he's saying. Now, I don't know. Scholars, man, there's a debate on this. Was John a believer at this point or was John not? John had done great things. The Holy Spirit had come upon John, but the Holy Spirit came upon King Saul. So we we can't just say because the Spirit of God was upon John that John's automatically already a Christian. I think part of the message that Jesus sent, we talked about last week back to John, is, John, you need grace. This, this is not about what you've done, John. It's about what I've done. And, and this may be that crisis of belief where John's going to come to Jesus. But I don't know if John's a believer yet or not. Most scholars would say, most of the scholars would say, ah, oh, we think he's already a, a Christian. I've got to be honest with you. I'm not convinced of that just yet. Because I think this message is still driving on the point that you can be as great as John and still be lost. You can grow up in the church, be on the cradle roll, learn all the do's, learn all the don'ts, and and check off all the boxes. And if you hadn't had grace, you're still in trouble. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Here's John the Baptist, and there's no one greater except the one that's the least that's already made it into the kingdom of God. They came by grace. The one who comes by grace is greater than the greatest who does not. 
That's what Jesus is trying to say. The law is not enough. Even the greatest of all times still needs grace. Was John a believer or not? That's not for me to decide. That's Jesus' call, not mine. But here's what I know, and I'm convinced of through this passage, is that John knew who Jesus was. But John was still not clear on why Jesus came. Right? John's thinking, man, we're going to have a political revolution. But Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and fishermen. They don't know know how to fight. The biggest thing they've ever fought was a fish. They don't know how to fight. John's confused because the kingdom's not shaping up the way that he thought it would. It's a spiritual kingdom, not a political or religious kingdom. Jesus didn't come to make us more religious. The law could do that. Jesus came to make us righteous. And that's only possible by the grace of Christ. So John was the greatest in the Old Testament kingdom model. But Jesus says the least in the new kingdom is greater than the greatest of the old kingdom. Remember, we're in transition here from Old Testament to New Testament. And John's the bridge that's that's bringing those two things together. So the greatest in the old kingdom is still less than the least in the new kingdom. I think we need that, that message again today. Because it's not what we can do for God, but it's what Jesus has done for us that matters. I think that's the first point Jesus is trying to make. There's a second point Jesus is trying to make. And that is this, that the Messiah was in their midst. He was right there in their presence. You say, Rob, where where is that? Well, it's right there. Let me show it to you, okay? Let's look at this. Verses 9 and 10 and then verse 14. Verse 9. What did you go out in in, in the wilderness to see? A prophet. And, and yes, I tell you, more than just a prophet. This is he of whom it's written. And again, back to that Malachi prophecy. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger before your face. He will prepare the way, or your way before you. And then look at verse 14. Jesus said, if you're willing to accept it, he, John the Baptist, is the Elijah who is to come. Here's what he's saying. Now grab this, because it's, it's, it's kind of veiled, but it's there. Malachi promised that before the Messiah showed up, Elijah, a prophet like Elijah, would be on scene, preparing the way, preparing the hearts, turning the, the hearts of the fathers back to their sons, and all these things that's mentioned in the book of Malachi. Malachi promised that that, 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 that prophet would come and precede the Messiah and, and pave the way, make level the roads for the Messiah to walk upon. Jesus says, hey guys, listen to me. John the Baptist is that Elijah you've been looking for. The one who came in the spirit of Elijah, that is John the Baptist. He's the one. You say, well, what's that got to do with the Messiah being in their midst? Think about it. If John's the forerunner, guess who Jesus is? If John is the true forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus goes, ta-da, I'm here, I'm it, I'm the one. John has told you that, I'm confirming it through everything that I do, but I want you to see that, that John is a fulfillment of what the last book of the Old Testament said would happen before the Messiah came. He is it, and I am it. I am the Messiah. Jesus is going to make several claims in this, in this Matthew chapter 11 passage that says, I'm the one. John asked him, are you the one? And Jesus says, absolutely. Here he is saying again, I'm it, guys. John was the forerunner, and I am the Messiah. John's not just any prophet. He's not just another prophet. He is the final prophet introducing the, the Messiah that's coming. And if John's the forerunner, then guess what? I am the Messiah. I am the one. I am the one that all the law and the prophets have pointed to. I'm the one the whole Old Testament now points forward to. I am the one. I am the Messiah. And I am here to make possible this new kingdom of God. And by the way, that kingdom that I came to establish, it's not at all what you envisioned that it would be. The third truth that I think is here in this passage is that this new kingdom that Jesus came to establish 
is spiritual, not political, and not religious, and not a mixture of those two. Let's look at verses 11 through 15. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, this new kingdom, is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, so Jesus is saying, hey, for the last few years, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now in this, I've got to explain that in just a minute. Let me keep reading, and then we'll come back and explain this. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, then he is the Elijah who is to come. And then he who has ears, let him hear. So here's what Jesus is saying in this, in this passage. He's saying, John the Baptist is the forerunner. I'm the Messiah. This new kingdom that I've come to establish is spiritual. It's not physical. It's not political. It's not religious. And so here's what he's saying. John the Baptist, who was born in the physical, was the greatest of all times. Yet that's not enough. We just covered that. You still need grace. And so in the physical world, in the religious world, there's no greater prophet, no greater person than that. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater. Verses 12 to 14 have this spiritual focus. He says, from John until now, so the last few months, last few years, this this kingdom has been advancing, okay? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. This is probably one of the most difficult phrases to to translate because it uses a voice in the Greek. We have, you know, presence, past tense, future, all this. That we, well, in, in the Greek, they have a, what they call a middle voice. It's a different thing than we have in English. Literally, this is translated, the, 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 the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. That's the way that it's translated. And, and so it can be translated to say the kingdom of heaven is suffering the violence of the world, or it could be translated the kingdom of heaven is violent. Either way. And so we've, I've wrestled with this all week long, looked at the different scholars and all that kind of stuff, and I'll explain to you what I think he's trying to say. But, but then he comes back and says, and, and the violent take it by force. And I, you're going, what, what does that mean? I mean, we had the zealots in Jesus' day. We had those that were, we wanted to be violent and have this political revolution in that day. So what is it that he's trying to say? And again, this is, this is part of why Jesus says we have to have spiritual ears, I think, to hear what he's trying to say. We read that and think in the physical Okay, that we, we know we, we did First Peter uh, right before we started this series, and it talked about the persecution the church is going to feel. And we could interpret that and say, yeah, man, since John the Baptist, you know, they really began to persecute John. He's in prison. They're going to persecute Jesus. They're going to crucify him. And we can think about this in the physical. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say here, although that would be true. I think there's something spiritual that Jesus is trying to say here. He's saying from the time of John until now, these last couple years, this spiritual kingdom that John came to announce, that Jesus came to inaugurate, this spiritual kingdom, this, this kingdom of heaven that is being, being birthed, is under attack. There is a spiritual attack, Jesus says, that you cannot see. There is a spiritual war going on here that none of us can see in the natural. That's why the lost world doesn't understand it. They just think it's karma. They think it's something weird. It's just one of them things that happen. You know, what, what goes around comes around kind of thing. And, and, and that's how our world tries to interpret these, these things that are going on in our world. Jesus is saying it's a spiritual battle. And, and it began with, with, with John announcing the kingdom. It's continuing with me, inaugurating the kingdom. And by the way, it's going to continue, guys, till the kingdom is established, till it's done. So here's what he's saying. It, it, it's this kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. It's under spiritual attack. And Jesus says, you're expecting a political revolution. Jesus was popular enough that he probably could have come in and created a political revolution. You do a few miracles, you impress a few people, you can draw an army and a crowd and get them to go fight. But you know what? We're learning this right now by looking at Kabul and other places. Nation building and political revolutions never last. Jesus was coming to build a kingdom that would last forever. I don't know how much you followed about the stuff going on in Afghanistan, but one of the, one of the big shockers was that their army just collapsed. 
All these 300,000 fighters that we trained and equipped and did all that stuff with just folded. I mean, they took over the country in, in no time at all, and, and, and it's created this huge crisis. And nobody could foresee that. And, and, and one of, the, one of the, the guys that I listened to, he said it this way. He says, one of the things that we could not measure and that we could not anticipate was the heart of the warrior. You can build a nation, but if you don't change the heart, that nation's going to fall. Jesus could have come and, 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 and been a political leader and maybe even got them out from underneath the control of Rome, but that would collapse again. Jesus didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. Jesus came to establish a, a heavenly kingdom that could not be shaken, that could not be shut down, that could not be overtaken. The gates of hell could not prevail against it. So Jesus is saying here, listen, I want you to understand that since the time of John, even through now, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence. There's a spiritual attack that is taking place. That's the first part. And here's the second part. And the violent take it by force. I've scratched my head and gone, oh, you know, I've prayed this through. What are you trying to say here, Lord? Here's what I think God's trying to say. And I want to be clear. This is, this is, this is me. I think I'm on target. I hope I'm on target. But please, you pray this through. When he says the violent take it by force, that, that phrase take it is literally a, a word that's, that, that means to snatch away. It's a word that's used about, about believers at the end when Christ returns and the dead in Christ will be snatched away. That's, that's the phrase, to be snatched away, to be stolen, to be just, just yanked away. And, and, and so we, I look and I went through the whole New Testament and said, where else is this word used and how else is it used? And it's used about 20 different times in the New Testament for, for people being snatched away. When Philip was with the Ethiopian eunuch, shared the gospel, and then it says the Spirit of God snatched him up and moved him. It's that picture of something being taken away suddenly. So this, this kingdom of heaven is under spiritual attack and the violent take it by force. I think what he's trying to say here is this. The gospel is going out. The seed is being scattered. But follow me. The enemy comes and snatches up that truth. It hits the ground. But before it can take root, before the message of the gospel can, can, can make it in the ear and, and make it to the heart, this spiritual battle, this violent enemy of the kingdom is snatching it away and say where in the world do you come up with something like that look with me at Matthew chapter 13 again the passage we just read the, the next verse Matthew chapter 13 remember we talked about the, the parables and, and why Jesus used the parables and, and, and that some would see and some wouldn't see and all that kind of stuff well he gets through that talking about how that their hearts were dull their eyes were closed and then he interprets for them the parable in, in Matthew 13 verse 19 he says, in verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, but does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away, there's that word, what has been sown in his heart. Here's what I think Jesus is trying to say to us in Matthew 11. This kingdom of God that Jesus came to inaugurate. John announces it, Jesus inaugurates it. And we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. It has suffered violence. And the enemy of this kingdom comes and tries to snatch away every little bit of truth that, that, that John and Jesus are throwing out there. This is going to be backed up a little bit later in Matthew chapter 11 here. When Jesus talks about the miracles he did in towns. And the crowds were amazed at what Jesus did. And yet they didn't repent. And their hearts weren't changed. They liked the show. They just didn't care for the Savior. What happened? The gospel went out. The enemy snatches it back. The, the enemy sows doubt. He, he, he comes in and says, let me just make you religious, but not, not righteous. Let me, let me focus you back on the law and what you need to do. And, and let me pile that law on you and give you some guilt. And, 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 and we're just going to substitute something for the truth. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say in this passage. So he's trying to teach us something here that we need to hear, that this new kingdom is spiritual. 
That what Jesus is doing, that the battles that we are facing, the things that we're going to go through, the revolution that is to come is not a physical revolution, but a spiritual revolution that Jesus wants to create inside of his followers. This is why we need spiritual ears to hear. Jesus is saying the battle has begun for the souls of humanity. It has nothing to do with the law, nothing to do with Moses, nothing to do with the law and the prophets. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And that didn't change the people's heart. It didn't save them. Even John the Baptist was Elijah who was to come. And, and, and Elijah's, I mean, and John the Baptist still doesn't understand all of this. This is why we need ears to hear. Because we live on the spiritual battlefield. We need to be in tune with the Spirit of God. And we need to realize that when the Word of God goes out, we need to have a heart that's cultivated, that that seed can plant deep into that soil and take root. So the birds don't come and pick it up, and the enemy doesn't come and and snatch it away. The enemy's tactic is to snatch away the truth. John was speaking truth. In a powerful way. Jesus was living the truth in a powerful way. And yet most people were not grasping it. There was only a handful who heard and received and believed the truth. The evil one had come to snatch away the truth. Jesus would speak with authority. The crowds would continue to be amazed. What manner of man is this? that can do all these things that this Jesus is doing. And yet their hearts remained uncommitted, lukewarm, fickle. And the same can be true for us. We can hear sermon after sermon after sermon. And if our hearts have not been cultivated by the Holy Spirit, that seed will hit on hard soil. And that seed will lay there and we will convince ourselves, well, this is, a, this is something I need to think about. This is something I might need to get around to one day. And the longer that seed lays on a hard heart, the easier it is for the enemy to come and to snatch it up and to take it away. And so we come back next week and we get another message, another seed. And Jesus says we need hearts that are cultivated. We need ears that can hear. We need hearts that are ready to receive the word of God. The message of grace can be missed can be snatched away by the enemy before it has time to take root. We sing about amazing grace all the time. But listen to this. It's not enough for us to be amazed by his grace. We need to be transformed by that grace. Transformed by what Jesus has done. Jesus says, listen, they've had the law since Moses on. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth have arrived with Jesus. The truth reveals our shortcomings, our sinfulness. And the grace is a gift that covers those sins. John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. The grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what do we take away from this message today? What do we take away from this passage that Jesus has given us today? I think there's a couple things real quick. Number one, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, cannot be entered by keeping the rules. If so, John the Baptist would have been the greatest of all times. This kingdom cannot be entered by keeping the rules. Grace is reserved for the undeserving for the unable, for those who admit their need and are willing and ready to be transformed by his grace. That's who the kingdom of God is for. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to to say here. Guys, listen, you're looking at John the Baptist and getting all shook up. John was incredible. He was the best of the best of the Old Testament. We are starting something new. We are talking about grace. And I think the second thing we can take away from today is this. That Satan has launched an all-out attack 
to prevent this message of grace from hitting home in our hearts. We think, well, I'm not that bad. I may need a little bit of grace to get me over the top, the icing on the cake, but I'm not that bad. But Satan is launching this all-out attack to prevent the seed of grace from taking root in our heart. And he wants to snatch it away and replace it with anything other than that. He will replace it with good works if you let him. I'll just try harder. I'll just clean up my act. I'll just do better. I'll just love that person that I can't stand. And surely God will be proud. And Jesus is saying here, any kind of replacement for grace is a substitute that won't work. It just won't work. We need to pray for ears to hear, for hearts to receive. And here's the other thing that I think we need to take away. Is that when... God's word speaks to you and to me. Truth is revealed through God's word. We need to act immediately. You don't need to sit here today and say, you know what, I need to give this some thought. I need to, let me consider it for a week or two. We'll call a committee meeting and think about it and discuss and discuss and and figure out if this is really where we need to be. There's only one response to the seed of truth. That makes a difference, and that is to have a heart that's cultivated and a heart that's ready. So when that seed comes in, the soil of our heart covers it, and it takes root, and it begins to grow. That does not happen by us postponing what we need to do, by procrastinating what we need to do. Listen, let me just be real. If the truth is the truth, and you're convinced that it's the truth, why would you want to live any other way? Why would you want to build your life on anything other? If this is it, if this is the truth, and this is the word of God, and this is the thing that I say I believe, you know, most of us as Baptists would say, I believe the Bible from cover to cover to cover. Then are you living it? Because if it is the truth, then why do we push it off and say, one day I'll get around to that. One day I'll I'll, I'll, I'll start living the gospel. We need to do it now. Satan can't prevent the truth from being spoken. He can't prevent the seeds from being scattered. But if he can convince you and me to wait before we act, that gives him just enough time to come and snatch up that seed. Listen, for for some of us, we we don't know what's going to happen when we walk out the door here in a minute. We don't know what kind of crisis is going to happen in our family. There's a truth that God's speaking to you right now, and you need to make a decision of what you're going to do about that right now. Because you know what? You may walk out the door, and and before you can even get to your car, you may have a phone call that something's happened and broke loose, and all of a sudden your mind shifts to something completely different, and you never make it back to the truth. Yesterday I was preaching Margaret's graveside service. And uh, you'll remember if y'all were there, my phone rang in the middle of the, the, the graveside message, and I, I, oh, and I apologized to the crowd. It was Catherine calling. I just killed the call, put it back in my wallet. Then we got ready to carry the casket over and put it at the, at the spot where Margaret was going to be buried, and, and it rang again. It was Rebecca, and I'm going, my girls know I'm at a funeral. Why are they calling me? They, they know what I'm doing. This, this doesn't make sense. And so I finished the, the, the service, and I start to walk out of the graveside. I told Janet, I said, look, you can stay and visit. I've got to head back. And I start to leave, and I look at my phone, and I got a text message from Brad saying, 911, Catherine has just passed out. I've called an ambulance. Now, if there was something God was saying to me at that graveside, I thought, I'll get back to this later tonight, and I'll think about it some more later. That moment that I saw 911, Catherine's on the ground. Everything else went out the window. Here's what I'm trying to say. When God speaks, we need to act right then. We need to say, Lord, this is truth, and I want to plant it deep in my heart. I need for you to cultivate my heart, plant this deep, and and, and don't let the enemy steal it away. Don't let this truth be drowned out by all the noise, by all the fear, by all the other stuff in our world. Don't let it be drowned out by anything else. Why? Because we live in a spiritual battle. And the enemy wants to come take it by force. Can't let that happen. If we believe God's word, we say that it's true, then why, when it's revealed, would we, would we dare to walk away by not applying it to our heart? Look, we'll get to this in the next couple of weeks, but don't let the powerful truth of God's word just amaze you. 
Let it take root and transform you. Don't just hear the truth and and repeat it. Let it take root in your life and let it transform who you are. Don't just hear the truth. Receive it, believe it, and let it change everything about you. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage, I think. It's the message within the message. It's why we need spiritual eyes and ears and hearts to be able to understand it and receive it. I want us to pray. And if there's been a truth that God's spoken to you today that you needed to hear, would you ask God, God, drive this home, plant it deep in my heart. Don't let me get away from it. Don't let me run away from it. Don't let anything else drown it out. Let's pray.